The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Lloyd, today our show is about big data. And we are welcoming back a guest that I met three years ago at the International Association of Privacy Professionals. And at that time, he had just um, released his book at that, his new book at that time, which was called Delete, The Virtue of Forgetting in the Digital Age. And that was an incredible book and a fantastic lecture keynote. And I just had to have him on. And I am so thrilled because now he has a new book that he's co-authored. Um, with Kenneth Kukier, who we're also going to have on the show. But let me tell you a little bit about Victor. He's wonderful, and we have a big bio on him and a link to his URL at kuci.org slash privacypiracy. You can see his picture. You can see picture of his book and all sorts of things. He's great. But let me tell you just a little bit about him because I want to get talking to him. Uh, Victor Mayer Schoenberger is Professor of Internet Governance and Regulation at Oxford University, following a decade on the faculty of Harvard's Kennedy School. He's one of the most respected authorities on what is happening in the big data arena. And I told you about his previous book, and then we have his new book, Big Data, A Revolution That Will Transform How We Live, Work, and Think. You can find more, uh, find out more about this book at big-data-book.com. So I want to get right started. And I know Victor's talking to us from a hotel room because he is on a wonderful book tour. And thank you for taking the time, Victor, to talk to us again. Oh, you're most welcome, Aria. If you call, I do it anytime. Oh, I love you. You're wonderful. Well, Victor, why don't you tell us, you know, when, for those people who are driving by, the businesses and the students on the campus, uh, what is big data? Well, Mari, you know, the, the, the hype of big data is that, uh, that there is lots of data out there, uh, and, and, and that is uh, something that we need to pay attention to. In the book, we try to go beyond that uh, hype. Uh, we try to tease out the real uh, characteristics, the defining characteristics of big data, uh, and we label them more messy and correlations. Um, and so that means that today we have more data about a particular phenomenon or problem that we want to investigate available than any time before in human history. And, and with that additional amount of detail and insight, uh, we can accept a little bit of inexactitude, and we use 
correlation analysis to tease out insights and to unearth a lot of the hidden value of the data that we collect. So tell me more about the three defining qualities of big data that you describe in this wonderful book, Big Data. Yes, uh, absolutely. So um, let me give you uh, an example. Uh, Doctors in Canada um, have looked at uh, premature babies, and premature babies called preemies are prone to uh, get infections, and when they get infections, they are very severe and life-threatening. So it's really important to find out if a baby suffers from an infection as early as possible. And these researchers, what they did was to use very uh, uh, new sensors to capture about a 1,000 data points a second of vital signs from each of these babies. And then take all this data. So it's an enormous amount of data, um, dozens and dozens of babies over days and days and weeks and then crunch the numbers to see interesting patterns or correlations emerge. And what they found out is that, um, when, that there is a particular pattern that emerges about 24 hours before an infection sets in. Mm. And so with that pattern, you just need to watch out for that pattern, and then you can start giving uh, medication very early on so that uh, you prevent the infection before actual symptoms uh, manifest itself, and that saves babies' lives. Now, what is really important is that these, this pattern that they had identified is when the vital signs of the baby stabilize. For centuries, doctors, when vital signs stabilize, have thought that uh, people, including uh, young babies, uh, are through the worst and everything is going well. Uh, this research now tells us that with premature babies, it's often the exact opposite. And no doctor would have known before this big data analysis. So with more data, yeah. always accepting a little bit of inexactitude in the data as well, and correlational analysis, we now have insights that we never had before. But here is, but, but, but here is the punchline. Dr. McGregor, who did that path-breaking research in Canada uh, about premature babies, uh, and helped dozens and dozens of babies to survive. He's no medical doctor. He's a computer scientist. Interesting. Interesting. Huh. So, so in terms of the, the three defining qualities of big data, one is that you, in my understanding, that you have incredible insights from it. Is that one of the first? Or? Well, the, the, so the, the three defining qualities that you have more data about a particular phenomenon uh, than before. Um, for all of human history, we were information deprived. We right. didn't have enough information. Collecting information was very expensive. Right. So we needed elaborate theories about the world, and then we collected a little bit of data to prove or disprove it, and often it disproved our, our hypothesis about the world, and we needed to collect more data. In the big data world, we have a lot of data, and so we can let the data speak. That's very different. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the second quality is that uh, we accept a little bit of inexactitude in the data that we collect right. because if we have so much data, it doesn't matter if one sensor reading is off a little bit. Right. Um, if you have enough data, then it, we, it yeah, then it exactly. offsets it. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, more and messy uh, trumps um, small and exact. Huh. And uh, the third defining quality is that we give up our uh, age-old search for causes 
for causality, for knowing the why, and just rely on correlations, on correlational statistical analysis. Correlations don't tell us why things are happening. They only take us uh, tell us what is happening. Right. Uh, and with respect to the, the preemies, that's good enough. Knowing what is happening in 24 hours saves lives. I don't need to know why exactly the infection set in, uh, what was the sort of infection vector. Right. What I really need to know is that the baby will have an infection and that I need to give medication now. Right. So here this saves lives, and this is the, this is the, the benefits, obviously, incredible benefits. So what, about, what else was done with that data? Was there protection of that data? I mean, that's the privacy side. So, <laughs> so you know, all these babies that were being followed and, and that they, they looked at the data, was it anonymized or was it where they knew who each baby was? Well, uh, see, this is the this is the interesting um, uh, question. Of course, uh, w- the data in the big data age is very valuable, and in the analog age and in sort of previous years, the data that we had was used for a primary purpose mostly. Uh, and once it has fulfilled the primary purpose, we were able to discard it. In the big data age, it's the exact opposite. Right. Uh, because uh, in the big data age, we don't know uh, what we can use the data for. Um, data has hidden value that we can only unearth for secondary purposes. Think of Google flu trends. Google was able to uh, use search terms sent to Google uh, from 3 billion people around the world searching uh, online. Um, and uh, they... The Google uh, experts used the search term sent to them to predict the spread of the flu. Now, who would have thought that you could use search terms sent to Google to predict the flu? That's a secondary use of the data. Um, and um, that is where in the future, in the big data future, the value lies. Unfortunately, our privacy regime doesn't know what to do with this because our privacy regime is built on the uh, understanding that the most of uh, the value of data is unearthed and had at the primary use. Yeah. So it seems to me that, you know, with the babies and with what happened with Google, you really don't have to know the individual. You don't have to. You just need the data itself, right? I mean, to determine the, the, the problems and to, de- you know, and to figure out what you might do differently once you know what is going on, it seems to me that you wouldn't really have to reveal or share the information about individuals. Am I correct or am I missing something? You are absolutely correct. The hope and the promise of big data is that we can gain insights irrespective of having to reveal um, a a personal dimension, an individual dimension of it, uh, because we are using statistics, we are using probabilities. We are not just using one human being to... To, to make a case or uh, make an example, uh, we are using lots of data points. Um, unfortunately, uh, big data also has a dark side uh, in addition to um, uh, undoing some of the legal protections of privacy that we have created, like noticing consent. That other dark side is that uh, big data really um, helps to de-anonymize data. You know, the hope has been for a long time that if we anonymize data, we'll be all protected and our privacy is going to be 
guaranteed. Um, but in the big data age, unfortunately, if big data is being misused, we can use multiple data sources, combine them together, and then see how anonymized or supposedly anonymized data sources suddenly become de-identified and we can de-identify people in it again. And, you know, that's what scares me, Victor. Like, go back to the whole sample of how many babies were, their lives were saved. But if healthcare agencies got a hold of that and they find out who's what, they might charge more for a child who maybe had this problem than they, you know, throughout his whole life or her whole life, um, as opposed to someone who didn't have this problem. You know, and, and that's what scares me. You're absolutely right, Mari, and that is, uh, you point, you put the finger on the real challenge that we are facing with respect to privacy. Uh, for a long time, we thought that we can contain the problems or challenges related to privacy by making sure that people consent uh, at the moment of collection to the use that we put to them. Uh, so we would go around and give them notice and ask them for, for consent, but that doesn't work in the big data age anymore because we don't know for what purposes data is being used. So what we really need to do in the big data age is to make sure that the uses of big data are, are not going to negatively impact on the individual. Uh, if healthcare providers misuse big data to penalize babies for genetic condition that has been found out um, and, and, and up the, the premium, for example, that is, has a negative impact and that is a misuse of big data that we need to interdict. So, you know, would you say right now with the way that the whole schematic is, at least in the United States, is, that, is privacy really dead then? Because we, we aren't really able to, um, you know, stop some of these big uses right now, right? These other uses. Right. I think that privacy in the big data age will be significantly challenged. And if we are not uh, modifying the legal and the technical foundation of privacy in the big data age, privacy is threatened and might be dead. Yeah. You know, and we've we've spoken with Ann Kavukian many times, and I know you probably know who she is. She sure. Is, yeah. And she has coined the phrase privacy by design. How How does privacy by design really correlate with the issue of big data? Well, the hope of privacy by design is that I can build privacy into the technological um, processes by which I collect and then I analyze, store and analyze data. Um, and that holds some promise. Uh, there are researchers uh, in California and up in Washington State, for example, who have uh, advanced an idea that is called differential privacy, where we create technical solutions um, and, and implement them that only reveal a little bit uh, about a person. And even if you're asking many times over uh, about a person to find out sort of more of the defining criteria, the database would only reveal fuzzy information so that you can't trace it back to a particular individual. And so differential privacy um, and some related uh, technical measures are identical are ways that by which we can 
built privacy into the technical design, which is what Enkevukian was advocating for. Yes. And we're speaking today with the author, Victor Mayer Schoenberger, who is the author of Big Data, a revolution that will transform how we live, work, and think. And I just want to read one of the testimonials. It says, every decade, there are a handful of books that change the way you look at everything. This is one of those books. Society has begun to reckon the change that big data will bring. This book is an incredibly important start. And that's Lawrence Lessig, who is a professor at Harvard Law School and the author of Remix and Free Culture. And so, Victor, let's, I know you're not just worried about privacy. You're also worried about what you call propensity. So can you help us understand what you mean by that? Indeed, Mari. And as I went into this uh, research to, to then write the book uh, together with Ken, um, I thought that privacy was the real dark side, the real challenge in the big data era. But then I discovered uh, this other thing, this other dark side that we call propensity, and that really got me scared. Um, here is the, the, the problem. With big data, we can predict future behavior, future behavior of people. Mm. Um, and, and that's great. That's incredibly valuable. Uh, that helps us um, make better decisions about society, that it helps businesses make better decisions. Right, this is when, when Amazon um, suggests you... Um, would like a particular book, makes a recommendation of a book to you, the hope is that there is a probability that you will actually go out and buy this book. So they are sort of predicting your buying behavior. Right. Uh, that's the value behind big data in a sense, not just buying stuff, but also uh, knowing what, what, what people will do in certain situations. And at the same time, uh, the danger is that this prediction of the future will be misused. Misused so that people will be punished, penalized, not for what they have done, but what they are predicted to do in the future. Yeah, it reminds me, and you talk about this in your book, of that movie Minority Report, remember? In, indeed it does, uh, where the, 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 the pre-crime officers arrest people, not for murders that happened, but for murders that these people were predicted to commit. Um, now, that, that would be very, very, very dangerous path to go down, um, partly because predictions can be wrong. There's only probabilities behind predic predictions. And so um, we would actually incarcerate in a innocent people. We would punish, we would penalize, we would hold responsible innocent right. people. Um, then, of course, if you're predicted to do something uh, and then you're being punished for it, you can't disprove the prediction because you're already in jail at that time. Exactly. Uh, and so this really negates the fundamental idea of human free will, of human volition, uh, of letting fate play out, of living the life we want to live. And I'm very worried about that. Um, but, but we need to keep in mind that it's not the big data analysis that's the problem here. It is that the problem is that we're using big data analysis to predict future behavior and to hold people responsible. So we are using something that can only tell us what to give us, to aid us in a decision about why, about causes, uh, about responsibility. And that is utterly abusing the power of big data, and we must never, ever do that. We must protect our society from minority report. So how do we do that? 
Well, one thing is that we we must make sure that our uh, fundamental uh, safeguards uh, that we have in the criminal justice system, but also in uh, in, in in general society about decision making, um, are broadened from procedural fairness. We need to uh, go uh, and protect also human uh, volition and free will. Government must never hold people responsible for. Uh, behavior that they are predicted to do rather than they have done. Um, we also suggested for um, very important decisions in the, uh, that private sector entities uh, take about an individual, whether to hire or fire, whether to give a mortgage or not, whether to uh, offer somebody to have surgery or not, uh, right. that these decisions um, uh, uh, m- must be um, reviewable, that uh, that individuals that are punished, that feel uh, threatened by such a decision, have a way of redress, uh, have a way of disprove the prediction that is underlying that decision. And that to us is seminally important. You know, Victor, that just reminds me of this case that I'm, I'm working on, which is a pro bono case that I'm helping this gentleman. And I, I did actually get him an attorney to, to help litigate this against TSA. He was, um, this gentleman worked um, as a security officer in LAX, all Uh right? And he found out he was the victim of criminal identity theft by uh, an actual criminal who committed a lot of felonies. Um, And he knew this kid from high school who was just a a bad kid. And um, my client was a decorated officer in the Air Force. He was, he's a veteran. He's a good guy. Um, long story short, he was a victim of criminal identity theft, and he found out about it several years ago, and he got a certificate of clearance. But long story short, after he worked for this company, Morpho, for several years, um, he had to go through an equip, uh, you know, to go and do a background check. Long story short, the equip came up with all of the identity theft crimes of the other bad guy keith wow and um my client told him this isn't me the company didn't help him but they knew he was a victim of criminal identity theft we asked for the background check we have still not gotten it since 2010 that's why this lawsuit is going on and he can't get a job he cannot get a job we have all this evidence his fingerprints don't match the fingerprints in the uh, database for the NCIC, which is the FBI database. It's a mess. It just breaks my heart. And so this is something where this big data, this this errors in data, this isn't even predictive. This is, you know, really, we have evidence to show he's a victim of identity theft. They won't give us the background check. We can't get him a job. He's, he's homeless now. And this is not even predictive. This actually is, we know that this is what, what it was and we can't fix it up. So when you talk about you have to have laws in place, we have laws in place. It's just that they're ignored and especially with the government. So uh, there's a lot of secret stuff going on. So when you're talking about predictive behavior, oh my gosh, you know, but this is something is happening right here, right now with big data that's erroneous that we can't even fix. So, right. I mean, I'm terribly frightened by what you're saying, but I'm living it with this poor client I've been trying to help. Right. And, uh, and, and the, you know, on the one side, the hope of big data is that as we have not just a few data points, but many, many more data points, we would be able to discover identity theft faster 
um, because a person stealing somebody else's identity is never going to be able to steal the entire identity, just parts of it. And so if you have a big data analysis, that incomplete stealing of one's identity would show up. That's the hope of it. But at the same token, we must make sure that big data probabilistic decision-making, that the decisions that are being made based on big data analysis really are um, uh, somewhat transparent so that people who are affected by it, individuals, can actually question it. And they can also go back and say, what kind of changes do I, I need to make in my life in order to reapply for that mortgage two years down the road and perhaps get it? We need to know what is the underlying basis of the decisions that are made on big data analysis. Exactly. And, and that's, the, that's the part that you're talking about, that due process. Indeed. Absolutely. Now, we don't have a lot of time, but I, I want to just ask you about what you see as the, uh, what's next about big data and privacy and what, what should we be looking for in terms of maybe legislation or what needs to happen? I think what we need to look for in addition to uh, regulatory action, uh, is uh, a creed of professionals, of big data professionals, much like we have privacy professionals. In the big data age, we need algorithmists. Uh, that is big data professionals who can help us. And what are they? Uh, these uh, algorithmists are uh, trained in a big data analysis, and we could go to them as sort of experts to, to help us understand uh, big data applications and to help us understand uh, uh, whether and where they're wrong. Wow. Well, we actually have about two minutes left. I have a little oh. bit more, so I got. To, okay. I know you were trying to be succinct, but I, I just I actually... Sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what I was trying to do. I know you were. You're wonderful. Okay, in the book, you compare the dangers to privacy with Orwell's surveillance uh, dystopia 1984. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? I think that's fascinating. Um... Uh, sh uh, sure. Uh, in 1984, the idea was that Big Brother is watching us, that there is continuous government surveillance of us. Uh, and uh, that was uh, the big dystopian picture. Uh, fast forward 65 years after uh, Orwell wrote uh, his seminal book, and we have more surveillance cameras than ever before. Facebook, Google, Twitter are capturing enormous amounts of information about us, uh, billions and billions of data points. Uh, and even the East German Stasi, the secret police that had 100,000 uh, people on full-time staff spying on its population, uh, would pale, and its data analysis capabilities pale compared to the data amount that we have available in our digital age that is available both to government entities as well as to private sector entities. So you think we need laws uh, to, to protect us? or Yes, I do think that we need laws. I do think we need regulatory action. I do think that we need to uh, have a regulatory body that goes after uh, privacy offenders, uh, that goes after... Uh, government agencies who completely disregard privacy rules and that goes after private sector companies who just couldn't care less about privacy laws. Well, I'm a little concerned because unless we have a private right of action, I'm just afraid that 
entities like the Federal Trade Commission and the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau really don't have the resources to do it. The only way that we can do it is if we allow a private right of action. Would you agree with that? I do agree with that, um, but I also fear that uh, a private right of action is not sufficient either because of the complexity of the problem. Uh, individuals oftentimes are just overwhelmed and will be overwhelmed even more in the big data age uh, with the complexity of the probabilistic analysis that is going on. That's why in the book we suggest and we detail out that we need this new profession, this new professional help, uh, this new cast of intermediaries we call algorithmists that are impartial and that are professional and that keep a vow of confidentiality and help us. Well, you are wonderful, Victor. We will have you back again. I can't wait till your next book. Thank you so much. Just give your website and it's time to go. All right. It is big-data-book.com. You're wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you again. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Mari. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. And visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.